This week, I spoke with Travis Hughes, account executive of Conga. He brings a really elite background, spending time in the West Point Academy in the US, followed by the military, and then apprenticeship in software sales with Salesforce before moving on to Conga, where he's recently been crowned number one global sales rep. Hope you enjoy it. All right, Travis, thanks so much for coming on and having a chat with us. Thanks for having me, man. So you just told we were just talking about offline there. It's been a roller coaster a couple of weeks. And um one of the you know biggest reasons that I wanted to talk to you is your recent success, which has been pretty huge. And we'll get into that, but let's take it back to the beginning. Talk me through what I'd need to know about your early upbringing and your foundations that has led you to take a career in sales and um, be successful in sales so far? Oh, yeah, that, that goes way back. Um, I grew up, my mother was a real estate agent and so she was real fast talking. I'm also from the East Coast of America. So I think that lends itself to uh, to a little bit of thinking on your feet pretty quick and and um, always trying to develop relationships in a, in a pretty quick way. So I think I just growing up, yeah, I was I was always um I was always a talker and I always just really liked to connect with people um of all different backgrounds. I got really lucky as a kid to to be surrounded by a lot of people from different backgrounds and I had to get used to building relationships and bridges with people that I might not have had a lot of commonality with. So um between that and then I went into the army and the army is a very similar similar situation. You have to make friends with everybody because uh, their lives are in your hands. So you have to build these bridges really fast with people. Um, and I think a lot of that translated directly to like a, a sales career because you have to build that trust and rapport right, pretty quickly. Um, and you have to find commonalities with people that you might not think you have anything in common with. Um, because I think trust is the probably the number one um, most important value in somebody that is going to be a good, uh, a good customer advocate and consultant to customers. Um, so I guess just as a kid and into my my early professional career in the military, I got really used to um, just really used to building bridges fast and, and early. Uh, and then once I got into sales, it kind of brought all that experience from being a kid and in the army and, and in other par- parts of my life together into one, um, into a career. And uh, I also think you know, just just doing a lot of travel, um, whether it was with the army or it was outside the army personally, you know, traveling as well was, has, has always been a big thing I'm passionate about. And that's also helped because you really have to make friends fast when you don't speak a lot of the language locally. Um, and so, yeah, it's all helped. It's all been like character development that, that makes you connect with people on a deeper level. How do you build trust quickly? That's a good question. Um, I think just coming from a genuine and empathetic place. Like I think a lot of, I hate, I hate that we're called salespeople. Cause I, I personally, I mean, I think it, it probably depends on what you're selling, but I don't really like to be considered a salesperson. And I try to approach every engagement as if I'm sitting on the same side as I, I want to sit on the same side of the table as my customers, um, always from day one. And so a lot of that trust is built quite early when you when you open up a conversation and you just say, "Listen, you know, I am on your side. Like I am your customer advocate internally. 
I have direct access to the product team, to the executive leadership team. Like if you are serious about going down a path to procure X technology or to change your organization, potentially using our technology, you want that bridge and I want to be your advocate internally. Um, and I think that really flips the, the mindset of somebody that is, is looking to, um, to purchase technology or, or in any sales type of role for that matter from a seeing you as somebody who's just trying to sell them and move on their way to a, somebody who is a genuine customer advocate and somebody who wants to see you succeed. Um, so I pretty much start off 99% of my engagements um, with some type of talk track around, like I'm literally here to see you succeed. So whatever outcomes that you want to achieve, if I can help you achieve it, we will do that together. And I think that builds a lot of trust like very quickly. Um, but also I think delivering on that is, is massive as well. And I, I also think owning, owning mistakes. So oftentimes, I mean, like you work with enterprise sellers all the time, but we walk into, um, we walk into a lot of situations that were, you know, I would say mishandled by, by either previous reps or by changes in the company where customers felt like they weren't given the level of service they deserve. And you have to walk in there and kind of flip the script and say, listen, that's not how it's going to be anymore. Um, you know, I'm I'm on your side and and we and owning that mistake and saying that's on us and let us make it right. And I think there's a lot of um I think a lot of trust is built that way. And and what's stopping other reps being able to take that approach? Yeah, I mean that's a yeah, it's a good question. You ask good questions. Um I think that I think something that's stopped is the short term mindset. I uh I forget who said it. But there's a somebody said, I want to play long. I think it was Naval Ravikant said, play long term games with long term people. And I, in every engagement that I have with a customer or even internally, like I make it very clear that I'm here to play a long term game. And so I reckon if you have enough long term games on the go at any one given time, you have that short term seller's mentality that you have to do to keep the business happy of, yeah, we have things that we need to close within quarter. But um, if you have enough of those plates going at once, you have very, very large long-term transactions. But eventually those long-term transactions become short-term transactions as it gets closer to closing a deal. So the more you have those, you know, you can you don't have to have that transactional mindset. You can have a very big mind, you can think big um, with your customers and you don't have to think short-term transactional. I mean, this is very product dependent and it's also very leadership dependent. Um, a lot of sales leadership demands those quarterly wins. Like, hey, we need quarterly wins on the board. I'm very lucky at Conga because my leadership knows that I'm playing long-term games with my customers. And so they're very supportive of, hey, if you don't have like a cracking quarter this quarter, we know that by the end of the year, you're going to have a great result. Um, but they also know that I'm playing long-term games with my customers. So I'm planning out large transformational projects with my customers. And I have enough of those on the go where it is staggered to a point where, you know, long-term, long-term, uh, view, a long-term view at, at any given time looks like a lot of short-term wins, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And is your pipeline different accordingly does it need to be a bigger pipeline or you'd work off the same pipeline as anybody uh, uh, i i you know it's funny salesforce had a lot of good things they instilled in people and 
one of the things they instilled in me was having five times pipe cover at all times. Um, that's a really hard, that's really hard to do. Um, if in our business right now, if you even have one or two, they're pretty happy about it. Uh, but I seek to have five to six times pipe cover at all times. And that just requires, you know, I think you can read any sales book or any uh, LinkedIn influencer about this, but you just always are prospecting. Um, and you do that in a, a variety of ways. Uh, some are more successful than others, but if you're always keeping your, 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 um, if you're always keeping a pulse on a lot of different things, like the pipe kind of comes and the opportunities develop. And then you just develop the ones that are, I think are, um, that have the most motivated people at the other end of the table. I like to work with motivated buyers. So, um, yeah, I try to keep at least five times pipe cover at any one given time. And it's, it's a good, it's a good job that we, um, pointed that out, you know, cause it sounds like you are doing a lot of work to, to build that pipeline yourself, to get to that scale. And that's obviously paying dividends for you. So I think it's a really important thing to point out. Um, <clears throat> and I like the idea as well. It sounds also, also like quite a, um, progressive narrative in marketing, for instance, at, instance at the moment where it's build long, um, build it at scale instead of yep. trying to transact on demand gen it's more about building good top of funnel at a good volume level doing it over and over again <clears throat> recruitment for instance is much more transactional of course than software yep. but of course i like the idea of the long game said so i think about it myself you know it, it's very much about just doing the activities constant consistently with a lot yep. and those cycles come to fruition because you've got so many in play at the same time right same with i mean somebody that um even self yeah yeah even for you though like you are sort of playing a long-term game by keeping good relationships with the people that you've placed in roles like you you do have a long-term view despite the fact that you have short-term requirements but by taking that long-term view and can and maintain the relationships after you i guess quote make a sale or you place someone at an agency or, or a company you are playing a long-term game because eventually like if I do need another job or I want, I would like to move, I'm going to reach out to you. Like you can have a long-term view in recruitment for sure. It's just most people probably don't. How does a, an up-and-comer, somebody working in SMB right now, how do they get in a position where they can take the long, longer game? Cause it's more enjoyable, right? And I think people would feel more passionate about sales potentially if they took that view how do they get in a position to be able to use that philosophy? Is it something where once you get into enterprise, then great, we can do it? Or is it really segment specific, would you say? Oh, you know, that's really, that's interesting because I've never actually worked in SMB. Um, my path at Salesforce was straight from business development to like a junior enterprise account exec role. Um, so I didn't really have the opportunity to, to do that small transactional type of selling, but if I were to step into a role like that tomorrow, my, my strategy would be to build as much long-term pipe as possible. Um, and that is strictly done by saying, I mean, it also really just depends on how quick the business cycle is there. Like you, you might not have the opportunity to like build long-term relationships with people because it is such a transactional type of um, sales process, but there's nothing, literally nothing more rewarding than having really, really deep relationships with customers that they call you for, you know, everything from, you know, my, my kid wants to become a commercial pilot. Do you know any commercial pilots that they could talk to? Like always, I always try to triangulate my customers with people that they might see value from. 
Mm. Um, I think that's a really good way at um, kind of adding value outside the sales cycle. But if I were to be an SMB rep tomorrow, it would be every call that I would jump on would have nothing to do with my product. It would have nothing to do with um, anything short term. It would all be really getting the customer to look at something long term with me and saying, well, you know, I understand that you're looking at a CRM in the next 12 months, but what are you trying to do in five years? Like, let's work towards something. Let's work backwards from five years where you want to be. I want to take that. I want to take that journey with you. And what does that look like? And if if they're trying to scale to something massive in five years, then I can help them increment either incrementally in small transactions get to that point, or I could say, listen, guys, like it's a hockey stick. You're going to spend money to make money, and it's all about how how long do you want that curve to be. But it's about putting yourself in their shoes and saying, okay, like. Your five-year plan is to get to a you know ten million in ARR, and you have one million in ARR now. What are the levers that we can pull together using technology to get you from point A to point B? How big is that gap? Um, how important is is it for you to get to that point? And you know what are the necessary steps that you think we need to accomplish together in order to get to that point? And so you might see that doing a lot of little POCs might generate some some you know shavings make a pile type income. And or you could you know you could do it well enough where they're like you know what actually we want to make the full jump now let's do a big bang let's set the whole foundation and then you know my organization or whoever somebody listening to this would work work, uh, would work for their organization would support that growth whether it's you know implementation or uh, um, post sales activity so for me in an SMB role it would just be about not just really, really, really trying to shy away from short-term conversations and steering everything towards the long view. Because I think that's also how you build trust. And it's probably also how you you qualify and maintain a, a more healthy pipe. Because if somebody just wants a short-term, I want five licenses of this, and then I'm out the door, like, you know, yeah, you can do that. But ultimately, they're not, they're probably not the partner that you want to work with long-term. So you talk about the long game, in relation to the the customer benefit there what does this customer want to um result in five years but you've also touched on the personal connection that you have with each of those stakeholders how yeah. do you gauge how do you gauge how much of a personal touch you can have with the customer how close can you get to them in terms of i'm thinking when you said five years i was thinking is that goal to be as CTO, right? Is is it a personal goal? How do you gauge whether there's a, a personal opportunity to help them as well as the company? Is that something you think about or is it always yeah. the corporate goal? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people take on projects because they want to make their mark at an organization. And I want to help them. I want to support them in that. And I want to enable them in that. And I also, I view, I mean, I, I know a lot of people in the community don't view sales as like a very personal um a personal endeavor, but for me, it's deeply personal. For me, I I have a lot of love for the people that I work I've worked with. Um, I still have people that call me and text me and update me on their lives, and it's a, it's wonderful to catch up. It's actually kind of wonderful to make friends in a business context, and I I know that's not looked upon as as favorably as 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 it could be, but that's my method, um, and I genuinely enjoy it. And I watch I enjoy watching my customers succeed, whether it's in you know the project that we're delivering together or it's them leaving the company and, and doing something that really drives them and moves them. Like, um, I'm just happy to be along for the ride in, in any way. But I, I suppose, like, 
to your question, how do you identify somebody that's it's it's all about discovery, you know? Like you really want to understand like why are they making this change? Like for what we do at Conga, it's it's very trans like a lot of the technology we sell is very transformational. So it is going to be a somewhat painful process and it is going to require them for it's going to require my champions, multiple of them in an account to really advocate for us behind the scenes, like when I'm not in the room. I mean, I'd say 80% of the sale comes from what customers are saying behind your back when you're not in the room. So for me, like I do want to understand what the why is. Like, and a lot of times there is a personal why in that. There is like a, yeah, well, I'm new to the organization. They've given me this huge project and I want to knock it out of the park. I'm like, well, I'm here to help you knock it out of the park. Like if you want to do this with my organization, I will bring every resource I have to bear to make you successful. And that's it. And that goes a long way. You've been really successful. Um, specifically, more recently, we talked to it, um, you know, some of the accolades and um, some of the success you've had with customers. What would you pay the most recent success to? Are there any particular changes you've made in the way you sell that be yeah. effective? Um, if you're watching this, watch a video on YouTube called Op- Secrets to Optimal Client Service. This guy named Jim Donovan. Uh, he is a M&A lawyer that worked at Goldman Sachs on some really, really high-end, um, uh, high-pressure M&A transactions. Um, and I think, I, again, this is not plug-and-play to like SMB or ESB. This is more for the enterprise space, I think. But I think a lot of the lessons that he espouses within that 30-minute long talk are directly relatable to how we should show up to customers. So I watched this video on YouTube. I already sort of had a lot of the elements that he was talking about, but you know, he talks about not using jargon because jargon makes customers feel less than, makes makes them feel like they're not smart enough. And they're not gonna ask you, they're, they're not gonna ask you to explain what you're talking about. They're just gonna resent you for making them feel stupid. And if you are talking to CIOs and CTOs and that type of thing, like the last thing you want to do is alienate your customer. Um, and so that really was driven home for me through that video. He talks about, and I also think generally he has an unbelievable executive presence. Um, I think executive presence really matters. I think it, um, even if you don't know what you're talking about, uh, it's it's okay to say, I don't know, but I'll come back to you, but do it in a way where you are are doggedly obsessed with their success. And so you are going to chase that, not for your own knowledge, but for them. Um, and so I think executive presence is super important. I also think customer responsiveness is super important. Um, if a customer has a request, for me, like there is no request that's too small. There's no ask that's too small. I will run to the edges of the earth with uh, with my own company and with my executives and with anybody that I have to to chase an answer, chase an outcome. And if it doesn't work out, then I own that. Uh, I think there's a little bit of military in there for for me. Um, if, if you're an officer in the army, you you own all the results, positive and negative, um, that, that happened, especially the negative. So, you know, owning the negatives is for me really important. Like there's nothing, not everything goes right. And when you have an opportunity to really like own the, own the, own the screw up and say, I will do better next time. And I won't let this ever happen again. Like that goes a long way. Like we're not perfect. Our organizations are not perfect. Our processes are not perfect, but knowing the customer knowing that on the other end they have an extremely responsive, um, responsive. Uh, what's the other word I'm really looking for? 
yeah, I think personable and just obsessed on their success on the other end of the table, you can't go wrong. And so I think that has been a, a fundamental pillar of my success is just being extremely responsive to customers, willing to break a couple eggs in my own organization to make the customers' outcomes uh, achieve, like make them achieve their outcomes. But also, you know, if there is something that maybe they didn't, um, they didn't follow our process perfectly. Listen, woo, let's let's mm-hmm. let's let you get away with it for now. But we, you know, uh, next time we'll make sure that we do it better. Uh, but I think you know, bending some rules internally is really important as well. Um, just just having them know that you will advocate for them to the ends of the earth. I think that's been a game changer for me. I really like the um, the point you made about ownership. Because nobody's ever nobody said it so far on the podcast, but it's there, uh, and I know it's there among top reps. How much of your identity would you say um, is attached to ownership? How much of your identity is in that project? Everything, hundred percent. If it goes wrong, it's on me. If it goes right, it's on my team. That's it. Everything. Like I, I own all the negative externalities that are associated with anything that happens that that goes wrong. I, I own that, and I own up. I own up to it with my own executives, and I own up to it with with my customers. Um, and that really goes a long way. I think that sales has devolved in some regards, depending on where you are, into a profession of just transactors. Um, and I'm not about that at all. Like I actually hate the fact that I'm in quote sales. I, I think I'm more of a consultant than anything. Um, I'm an advisor. I'm a strategic advisor, and and that is how I present myself to my customers. And and yeah, so ownership is probably one of the top three things that that you can do to gain the trust of a customer and and maintain a long term relationship with them. Are you a Jocko Willink fan? Hundred percent. Yeah, I, him and I had a very similar job in the military, and so there's there's that mindset of anything that goes anything that goes right is is the team, and anything that goes wrong is the leader. So if you're le- if you're leading an engagement as a salesperson, anything that goes wrong is on your shoulders, and should, the buck should never be passed, especially not on an email where you're like, oh, well, is this guy, this guy, like, I don't pass the buck, I own everything, and then we seek to make it right. So. Um, yeah, I'm a massive Jocko Willing fan. Shout out to him if he ever listens to this podcast. I very much hope he does. Um, perhaps not yet. Um, <laughs> what are the downsides of having an identity so crafted to sales? How, who are the what, what's the downside, and what picture do we see behind Zoom, behind the the records and the number one accolades? Are there any downsides to the identity? No. Because I take I take what I do so seriously. Uh, I mean, obviously, like at work, uh, outside of work, I, I can I can chill. I go for a surf. Like I hang out with my mates. Like everything everything's fine outside of work. But you know, if I when I'm on, and you ask anybody that works with me, when I'm on, I'm on. Like that's it. There there is no off. There's no, um, you know, I'm I'm solely obsessed on making my customers successful. And there, I don't really think there's a downside to that to that. Um, yeah, I don't think there is a downside to that mindset. I think that sometimes I push too hard internally for things to happen. 
breaks a couple eggs, but you know, as long as you have good leadership to to air cover things um, and smooth things over as you, as you push forward, uh, I think that's fine. But I, I don't really think there are any downsides to this because my customers know that I will do absolutely anything to make them successful within my power, um, and my executives know the same. And so I actually think that you know, if you really want to pivot that into a conversation about how to how to architect a mega deal, that's how you do it: is you get your executives involved early and early and often. And the only way you build that internal brand is by being customer obsessed, um, and by by showing to your leadership that you have what it takes to close a huge deal. So when you do say, "Hey, CFO, CTO, CCO, anybody, I want you to connect with my customer CTO or CFO," they're more than happy to jump on the phone. So. Yeah, I think it is about about having an identity that is associated with somebody that that gets things done and is obsessed at what they do. Um, I do turn off. I do go on holiday, and and I'm not like all work all the time. So, um, yeah, I think if you can maintain a balance of of being super intense at work and then you know taking time off for yourself, like I don't see anything wrong with it. With identity comes pressure internally, right? Not. Well, from your organization, from your customers, of course, you're you're carrying it. But I'd imagine when you have such an identity closely um, related to success in sales, there's a probably a, a good amount of pressure you're placing on yourself. How do you how do you manage that? Uh, I think I'm a bit of an outlier in this regard. Where I mean, I I was in the military at 17. I went to the United States Military Academy at West Point, which was a pressure cooker for four years. Um, you know, got got done, left left the academy, and I went pretty much straight into the army and then into special forces. So for me, like pressure, winning, discipline, like that that I hate to it. I hope it doesn't come off the wrong way, but like that is just what I'm wired for. So you know, I talk to my boss all the time, and he actually he bought me a Steph Curry jersey at the end of Q1 because I was like, give me the ball. You know, like if there's if there's an account that's that's going bad, um, and somebody else isn't handling it right, just give me the ball. Like let let me let me run with everything I possibly can. Uh, and so, yeah, I guess that's 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 the mindset. I I don't really have advice for people that operate differently because honestly, like I'm you haven't done it. Yeah, I don't know. How, I don't know how to really turn it off. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm okay I, with it. I love that you got you that jersey as well. Um, and and keeping with the sports analogy that the next thing i wanted to ask you about is is finding the right business product segment for yeah. your talent to really come to work right so i'm thinking about this happens in sport all the time you know a player gets drafted great player big expectations and sometimes it does it just doesn't you know it doesn't quite sing the, the way you thought it was gonna and then yeah. move to another business uh, sorry move to another team another coach and all of a sudden they're, you know, they're number one. How important do you think getting the right team, you know, be it our product segment, how important is that to really reach your true potential in sales? It's absolutely essential. Uh, I I was one of those guys. I, I, you know, I'll admit I didn't have like the best. I was very good as an SDR at Salesforce, BDR at Salesforce. Um, I had an excellent manager, shout out to JP. Um yeah, I had an excellent place to grow up at Salesforce, and then I transitioned into the actual, the junior enterprise account exec kind of role, and I just think I floundered 
to be honest. I don't think that there was enough. Um, and it was really about my selling style. I didn't really have the, 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 the soil at Salesforce to grow in the way that I wanted to grow. I think there's, it, it played very well to a certain type of seller. Um, but for me personally, like I need a wide berth to essentially, the way I view myself in sales is like you're a general on the battlefield and you obviously lead the engagement, but you have a million different types of elements that you're moving on the battlefield at once to all achieve one objective, right? And at Salesforce, I didn't really have the ability to do that. Um, when I left Salesforce and I came to Conga, um, I had a management team that was super supportive of me going way outside the box and thinking huge for, you know, our average deal sizes were, you know, quite small and they allowed me to think big and, and take a longer view and bring in resources when I needed them um, and bring in customers and bring in executives. Uh, and so having a really flexible management team is something that's valuable to me. But I also think it's about knowing yourself and knowing your selling style. There's plenty of people out there that are really happy being account managers. And there's a massive need for those. We need those in our business too, where you know you just maintain the status quo. If there's any need for for an, an, an upsell, you take an order and that's cool. I think there's having that relationship with a customer is really important. But then there's also, you know, there's sellers like me where I love to hunt new business, but I also love to develop these really deep lasting partnerships that that grow into huge transactions, but also huge results that are that are seen globally. That's really what I like to do. And in order to actually do that, um, I knew that I needed to know my selling style and like know how I work and and translate that to somebody like yourself that's placing me or translate that to a manager in an interview. Like I was very, very upfront. Like I want the room to run. Like I don't want the seatbelt on. I don't want any of the, the guardrails. Just let me go. Let me do what I got to do. And then just come along for the ride and support me however you can. Um, it's really about like knowing oneself, I suppose, before you step into another role. Um, and I, I do think sometimes it takes like having a negative experience somewhere where you don't quite fit to understand, well, I, I can't, I, I, I don't thrive in this environment, but I know I would thrive in this environment. And then mm. having the kind of the, the courage to jump and, and do something that you think would be better. Are you self long answer? <laughs> huh? Are you self critical? Extremely. Yeah, extremely. Yeah, yeah. So I'd say, you know, we have Gong as a platform that we use and it like records all the calls. And I watch those calls and I listen to the calls and I try to critique everything that I do. And a lot of that was just comes from my military services. Every operation, no matter how good it how good it went, uh, how bad it went, you critique it ruthlessly. Um, you pick out three things that went right, three things that went wrong. Um, and so, yeah, I'm extremely self-critical, but in like a healthy way, I suppose, like you got to forgive yourself for, for messing up and you got to forgive yourself for mistakes. Like we're all learning and growing. Like I have a ton of growth to do and a ton of learning and I'm learning every day. And I, I, I especially ask for a lot of feedback from people I work with. So I try to get that 360 degree feedback loop going. Um, and I try to make myself available for that type of thing as well. And just you know, ask for it honestly and, and take it on board and try to change. Um, I know I was definitely, I'm, I'm a bit of a bull in a China shop. So that's my, that's been my learnings the past, you know, year or so is like, Hey, how do you maintain that energy, but also not, you know, step on too many toes and, 
and uh, buck the system too much. But yeah. And the reason I ask that is because you've um, been able to critically analyze what kind of player you are, right? And I'm wondering if many of the reps even think about that because one part of it is picking the right organization, right? Where you're going to thrive. But the other part is understanding what kind of player you are to fit into that team. Um, to you, it's come quite naturally, but, but I wonder what other reps can do to take that look within and, you know, find out, am I an account manager? You know, do I love uh, being a challenger? Um, is that how I like to work? You know, people asking these, these questions as they plan their career trajectory. Yeah, I think um, I think all too often people don't take as long term of a view as they should on their own careers. Mm. Um, I mean, to be honest, I still don't know really what I want to do, um, but I did. I do know that becoming a master at my craft uh, will pay dividends in whatever I decide to do down the road. So, and and it is quite clear from the data that um, that salespeople make up a pretty high percentage of the C suite. And so if I, you know, if you're a salesperson out there and you're listening to this and you want to do your own thing at one point, or you want to go into um, leadership, or you want to go into like executive type leadership, I would suggest mastering this craft. And, and just, I think the mindset, the mindset shift for me was when I went from, you know, a, somebody that was doing it as a job versus somebody that was doing it to actually achieve mastery. I think I got more obsessed with it. And that's that's when success really started to come. Mastery also comes from sticking it out when it's it's not necessarily going great as well, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thousand hours rule. It's a deliberate practice of activities that you don't really want to do. It's not the good stuff. It's uh deliberate practice. How important is it? <clears throat> this is perhaps a little bit controversial. How important is it that you stick with a business or a role to be able to earn the opportunity to then go find your feet in in the perfect perfect place and i'm thinking about your four years at west point right and your time as a bdr coming through and then sticking out in a role where it wasn't going as perhaps as well as you would have liked it to but you yeah how important is it do you think to have at least one of those roles and and stick out before you go into the next one I mean, I think grit is extremely important in anything that you do. Grit is, I mean, there's books written about it. Uh, Angela Duckworth, I think is, yeah, she wrote a book called Grit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, grit is obviously like a major factor in, in just success in life in general, not just sales, but um, sticking it out. I'm not sure how much of an advocate I am for sticking out a bad situation. And I think it really comes down to like looking in oneself and being like, okay, is this situation bad because of me or is this situation bad because of the way the organization is set up with, you know, is it bad because of the way that, you know, um, different leaders in the business are incentivized? Maybe there's, there's incentives that are taking one leader this way, one leader that way, and you're kind of in the middle. Um, and if you realize that you're, that you're a good seed in a bad, uh, in a bad garden, and it's not no fault of the people in the garden. Sometimes it's just the way that people are incentivized. You know, I'm actually all for leaving early. Um, I struggled a lot with with wanting to leave where I was, uh, but I had some really sage advice of like, well, if you if you left tomorrow and you landed somewhere where you were really happy, like, you know, your life would instantly get better. And I was like, oh, okay, like I know I have what it takes. I know I have the right attitude and mindset, mm. um, skills, 
um, inherent skills, things that I've worked on over time. Like I knew I had the right makeup. I just was not in the right pot of soil, right? So if you're in the wrong pot of soil, but you know you have it, whatever it is, like I highly suggest you just leave. Um, I don't think there's any shame in, in leaving something that's not serving you early. But also like that being said, if you're if you're a BDR and you leave after six months because you know you think you're amazing and um you don't think that you know the business is right. I, I don't know. Like I I wouldn't recommend that. I think doing the lower roles like very, very, very well and sticking that out is valuable. But I think once you're in a selling capacity and if you know you have the ability to like really crush it, um, and you just feel like you're being held back by the business, I don't think there's any shame in leaving early. Sage advice. Yeah, I, I like that advice, particularly, you know, the the apprenticeship era of doing a BDRO and sticking that out before you move on. But I speak to a lot of reps, particularly like right now, and, you know, they're talking about our sales targets have gone up, even though it's hitting. Um, there's a lot of pressure coming downwards. Should I be making a move? I'm not sure what it looks like. And it's quite refreshing to hear from yourself that if you back yourself, you know, it, it, go and find a place where you're going to thrive. And you're a shining example of that for sure, right? Yeah. Any particular um, formulas that you would adhere to as to how to pick the right business to work for? Again, it's all about knowing yourself. Like you have to know what what your working style is, what your style of leadership is. Sales is a leadership job, straight up. Like if you want to actually do well in this business, you have to be a leader. Um, and it's about whatever your leadership style is. So if you're if you're a leader that's not going to drive from the front, you know, maybe there's a certain role that fits your personality more. So I would say first it's it's going after a role uh that is commensurate with what you actually want. So if it's account management, if it's, you know, some people only work with startups or only work with net new business, or there's a million different ways they stratify sales roles. So it's about finding what is your niche, how do you want to work? And then, you know, for me, I think the most important thing is leadership, like where the the if you're in an interview and you don't feel like you could work with this person because they're a micromanager and you don't want someone micromanaging you just want someone to let you go or if they're not a micromanager and they're really hands off and you love that like it's really about assessing the leadership it's about assessing culture fit within the organization i also think product market fit is so underestimated in sales like i see plenty of people moving around to companies at least in the apac region where like, oh, like, I don't think this product really has a long runway or a lot of intrinsic value to customers. I think now with the market cycle that we're in right now, um, CFOs and, and decision makers and businesses only want products that are going to dramatically improve their current state and dramatically improve on prob- actual real business problems. So if you're looking and screening for an organization, it would really go, the heuristics I'm using are, are you going to allow me to be myself and run my business the way I want to run it? Are you going to support me as a leader in the way that I want to be supported? Do I have cool teammates that I'm happy working with? And that's not as important, to be honest. Like if you're, you know, I mean, it is, but it isn't. And then I think that the biggest one really outside of all those questions is, does this have a product market fit? Is this an essential service in a, de- in a market downturn? Is it an essential service in a market upturn? Um, I think I got really lucky with Conga uh, in the sense that we are an absolutely essential service during times of financial hardship and uncertainty. Uh, and when you can go to a CFO and say, this will dramatically improve your processes and, and add more 
you know, net income to your bottom line, like it's a pretty clear path to value. And I think that, you know, a lot of companies are hot and there's a lot of, you know, generative AI is really cool, but it's like, is that, or is that not going to pass the CFO smell test? Because if it doesn't, you're going to have a tough time selling and then you're going to have tough times putting wins on the board. And if it's tough getting wins on the board, it's tough to get momentum. It's tough to feel confident in what you're doing. And if you're not confident in the product and you're not confident in the value that it provides to customers, then you're going to give steeper discounts. You're going to make less money. You're not going to be an advisor to customers because you're going to be struggling for pipe, struggling to close deals. And ultimately, you're going to be a more pushy seller and not an advisory type seller, which you want to be. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. And um, I think you're absolutely right. It's so underrated, um, the ability to understand if there is a product fit as a rep. It's I, I think it's not um, it's no coincidence that you find the best reps end up at businesses that are performing really well. It's not that they're yeah. those businesses have, you know, better talent um, strategies than others. It's that the best reps proactively manage their career trajectory the same way they manage their deals and they think how can I prosper so um that's not talked about so much but I think that's so underrated um but yeah let's do um <clears throat> last one I wanted to ask you and it's quite a big one we probably won't get through it you and I even in another hour but how would you define success I think success is happiness and freedom yes. that's it okay. it's pretty easy like it's a, it's it's not a hard if you're happy with what you're doing um, and you have the freedom to live your life as you please to, to live it, then I'd say you're pretty damn successful. So if you're really happy being a potato farmer and you're the best potato farmer out there, success will find you, you know, monetary, you will be financially compensated. Like what's the, what's the term it's in Japanese, it's ikigai. So it's the, it's the, the intersection between what you're good at, what the world needs, uh, and there's probably like a couple other bubbles that I'm missing, but I mean, to be honest, like I think from a sales perspective, it's about defining why being in this role is important to you. Like if you're here to collect a paycheck, you're probably going to be a pretty average rep because you're just going to be focused on, well, who can I close this month instead of, I don't know, I think changing my mindset around how I approach what I do and deriving meaning from giving customers the outcomes that they're looking for. And like, you know, if you solve a major business problem for a global customer, or, you know, if you're an SMB and you solve a huge problem for a customer, you will obviously be compensated for it, but you're gonna be compensated by feeling good about what you did and the outcome that you helped that customer achieve and the relationship that you built with them where they call you even when they don't need anything. like. For me, success is like enjoying what I'm doing, being happy about um, my life and and the the meaning that I get from success in my job and and having a great team around me and and my having great management um, and then having the freedom to really enjoy my time off the way I, I want to enjoy it. Mm. Um, and obviously, like when you're good at it, you get financially compensated for it. So that's just the the icing on the cake. But you know. I think that's kind of success for me. It's really interesting that you said freedom because I think that is the ultimate, right? I think a lot of people might say financials, but freedom is the ultimate, which perhaps runs over the top of them all. And it, it sounds like the consistent theme is that you take a long 
view on everything you do to be honest yeah by consistency of hard work um and that's a consistent theme with a top one percent of people that i've been lucky enough to speak to on the podcast so far but you know it sounds like you're quite philosophical the way you think about things and the way you put forward these ideas so that we can take away some insights has been brilliant so i really appreciate it and um i'm sure the listeners will uh as well we'll put some links in there as to some of the things we talked about you and i could talk about any number of mindset things that we could go on for hours actually i'd love to pick your brain about but um sure of your time and the deals you'll be uh closing so thank you again really appreciate it travis and um yeah wish you the best of luck for the next quarter sounds good thanks mate appreciate your time